Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Jackie Mitchell. This is where we pick the best brains in the business world and you, the listener, feel like you are eavesdropping on a really interesting coffee conversation to give you and your business the inside edge. We take a look into the business mindsets of leaders and brands and probe into how they think, feel, learn, manage teams and themselves. We love sharing the knowledge and serve brain food to keep your business mind healthy. To continue the conversation, you can connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. So while our first guest settles in, orders their coffee, grab yourself one and we'll be right back after this. Welcome back. Our next guest is... He loves developing people through a growth mindset and possibility. He's a thinking, speaking author and coach. I'm really excited to have this conversation. I want to find out more about how to unleash the high performance hero within you. I'd like to welcome to the show, Rob Hartnett. Hi, Jackie. How are you? Hi, Rob. I'm really good. Thank you. Your new book and congratulations, It's All Possible. Uh, I like the, the, the positive vibe from it, how to lead an epic life and unleash the high performance hero within you. What got you interested in the field of positive thinking and why the focus on that? I've been um, studying high performance, um, high performance in business, high performance in uh, sport, just high performance in general, really, um, all my life. I've always uh, benchmarked myself against the world and seen Australia as a country, not the, but also wanted to go outside of that and see what's, um, what's out there and, ha- and how could you be the best in the world. And I've done that through most things in my life and I've also associated with people like that as well. So that was kind of the, why I've always just studied high performance and best practice, if you will. Right, um, okay. inside the country and outside the country. So, where did you start your career? Because you've had quite an quite an interesting journey. Where did it all start? Well, one, it's not over, but I just started. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, in fact, I guess about halfway through. Yeah. I started at KPMG. So I'm an accountant by profession, so I yeah. uh, went through that uh, the accounting bachelor of business side of things, and uh, started my, my my career at KPMG, and then moved on to um, to uh, Rio Tinto um, straight after that for a little bit. Yeah, I noticed uh, in uh, 1994 you were working for Apple. Yes. And yes. Uh, I was thinking, gee, that would have been a really interesting time to be in that field. For sure. Like, yeah, yeah. Did, Definitely. Did, did people get it then? Or, I mean, how hard was it to sell? Oh, not, I mean, it was really interesting, actually, because I actually got recruited into Apple from being a client. So I was, a, I was what you call a challenger client. So I yeah. would challenge the norm and just I came across Apple at KPMG. Uh, one of um, Steve, Steve Jobs' first big sales was, in, uh, was actually in 1984 um, to, to KPMG Worldwide where he built a bespoke program for auditing. And so I came across the Mac uh, in very early days, back in, in those days. So I came across it then and then I just loved the product. And as I moved through my corporate career, in the early days, I just took the Macs with me, and so that, that meant challenging quite a lot of the IT folks and the PC-driven IT folks back in those days until someone from Apple, um, one of the dealerships, said to me, actually, you know what, you're doing this so well. Do you want to kind of do it full-time? And so I, I basically, I was treasury and taxation accountant at Kraft Foods at the time, and I, I said, yeah, let's do it. And my parents were horrified, and the leaders at Kraft were horrified, and everyone thought <laughs> I was throwing my, life, throwing my life away. But the bottom line was, I wasn't married. I didn't have kids. Uh, I knew I could always go back to it, um, but you've got to pursue things when they come up or you regret them later on. And so I went into it and, uh, yeah, the rest is kind of history because I went from there uh, into Apple and Apple then worked for Apple itself. Um, 
And then I uh, worked my way to HP from there and into the, the heady days of IT, yeah, which is just fascinating. Yeah, absolutely fascinating because I, I think, well, in my own view, a key to success for any business leader is to zig and zag. And you certainly did that because uh, you've, you've worked for agencies, um, you've worked in mm. media, you've done advisory work, um, lots of different areas. What influenced you along the way? So as you were zigging and zagging and you sort of gather bits of information or inspiration along the way. Was there any, anything particular that stood out for you? Um, I've always been focused around business development, be that sales, marketing, business growth side of things. So that's always been the way um, I've operated for, for a long, long time. Mm. And so it's always been around that, but there have been numbers of career changes along the way to sort of go into those different paths. But it's just really as I've met people and you evolve. And I think one of the challenges people have today, and it does worry me quite a bit actually about people are trying to find their purpose and obsessed on their purpose. Well, you know, you may have so many purposes through your yeah. life. And one of the things is don't obsess on the purpose. Just get on with what's comfortable right now. Whatever you feel you need to do right now, go do that. And what will happen is you'll evolve to the next level and you'll find something else. You'll evolve to the next level and you'll find something else. And so that's we, we become, we give meaning to our lives through our lives, not just we find meaning one morning. So I think that's the important part is I've always just, you know, if I look at world's best practice, when I went to the agency world, it was like, actually, how can I go to the my, – my, my actual comment was, how do I go to the HP um, of agency land? So how do I get into a, to a Mojo, which is where I went, mm. uh, or a JWT, one of the large agencies? We can't just turn up on their door. So you have to do the hard yards and the work beforehand, which I did in smaller agencies until I earned the right to knock on their door. And then you take it to the next level. Yeah, exactly. That's a really good point. Uh, now, in your research about mindset, now mindset's an area that I've, I've got a keen interest in. Mm. I'm always interested in the difference between a business mindset versus a personal mindset. What's your view on on how the two marry or merge or sit separately? I actually think they work together. I think that this day and age, um, there is no such thing in my world as work-life balance, as work-life integration. Um, if you're doing work-life integration, you kind of love what you do or you enjoy the work. I mean, not not even the most exciting jobs in the world are still have their tough times. You know, it's what being a leader is. Um, so I, I don't see much difference. I think you, you, if you, I've never seen anybody whose personal life or personal mindset is in disarray actually leading a business and having a great business mindset for a medium to long term. Mm. They might get away with the short term, but not much after that. Yeah, and I think that's a key message, and I agree with you totally on that work-life balance splitting. It's it's got to be blended. I think that's that's a real uh, change or a real sort of milestone in how business has changed. It is about blending, you know, working from home and being a bit more flexible right. when you do work. But how your mindset is at home or personally, of course, it's going to affect you. And you know, you. Most of us are not schizophrenic, so it's going to be blended. And I think yeah. that, you know, if we can actually look at uh, improving that mindset at home, it's going to help you in business. Oh, no, 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 no question about it. Uh, and I think there's some really interesting correlations around the mental health side here, mm. um, the bullying in kids' schools. I mean, where does that come from? <laughs> you know, they're only doing what they observe. So, you know, there's some really interesting stuff about why we just need to be more kind to each other and more, and that's even to ourselves, firstly. Um, and because we, we do blend it in between work and life. And the client said to me the other day, you know, he's got a wedding coming up, and he said, you know, I've just had to make a few calls during the day because, well, guess what? The wedding providers do not work after 9 p.m. or 8 p.m. So you've got to 
be cognizant of, of people's lifestyles and their goals and their big occasions that are happening in their lives, whether they be uh, exciting things like births or marriages or even deaths, and realise there are huge things that affect us personally, but and so therefore they will affect our business life. Of course, and then there's the law of reciprocation. You do that, and then hopefully then they'll go, you know what, they were really great for me, I'm going to do this extra bit for them. And, and this is where that growth, that sort of momentum continues, that collaboration. And they Correct. do get some some great some great, great outcomes from that. Now, Rob, I did notice also and I, that you uh, were involved in, in an elite sport, and I've always, I'm always super curious and I see a correlation, and it's quite a regular correlation with business leaders have come from a sporting background and clearly they most of the time did quite well in it. And I always think there's a disconnect between what elite sport can teach us and what business leaders have. You know, there's a reason Roger Federer still has a coach, greatest of all time, he has more than one coach, there's still practices. Mm-hmm. And yet business leaders, there's so many out there that don't have a coach or don't have a mentor or don't uh, do enough professional development or don't practice bits yep. and pieces. So what did elite sport uh, teach you about business? Well, it's a thing we call the law of the scoreboard. Um, the reason that most business leaders, and well, not most, but quite a number of business leaders and very senior leaders at that, um, don't have coaches and don't have mentors and don't read it and, you know, invest in themselves and don't need a growth mindset is because no one's actually got a scoreboard on them. No one's actually checking. Oh. And so you, you've seen this just more recently. I mean, the Westpac example is an absolute classic of no scoreboard. I mean, it's unbelievable that some stuff like that goes on for so long because there was no scoreboard. Um, what I do find with elite sports people, I would suggest more get frustrated with corporate life and leave than those who actually stay on and make a success of it. And the reason they leave is because they've come from an elite area of discipline, leadership, and accountability. And if you think about those three things, they are sadly missing from most of uh, corporate and government organisations today. So a lot of people when they come out of elite sports, step into these organisations, they want to work for our large companies, and it's fantastic. But they get there and they're so frustrated because it just isn't the checks and balances, there isn't the scoreboard, there isn't the accountability, and they quite often leave or start their own and become really successful or they rise to the top um, through an organisation and make, make those kind of changes um, that, that it needs. So it's a really interesting blend of the people that are in it. But essentially that's what it is. It's just when you're racing, you know, when you cross the line, you're either one or you're fifth or fourth or second last. And it is what it is. And you make changes to uh, with, a, with a kind of a mantra of sometimes I win, sometimes I learn. Yeah. Now, the elite sport, I should let everyone know, was sailing. Is that right? Uh, well, mine's sailing, but I've also been involved with cycling um, and a number of my friends, a number of the testimonials you see on the book are from people from Olympic, uh, you know, Olympic skiers in terms of Alyssa Camplin uh, to Tom Burton, the gold medalist in sailing. There's Matty Lloyd, who is a two-times Olympian with, uh, with cycling. So it doesn't matter the sport, really, but that's the, my, my background's been in elite sailing. And then more recently, um, I've switched to cycling in the last four or five years. I was going to say, you could use so many sailing metaphors. Do you do that? <laughs> Uh, well, you know, there is a lot. There is a lot out there. There's a lot of mistaken as well. Um, but there's, yeah, sometimes I do. But I use them. I use, if I'm speaking, it really depends on, on who the audience is. Yeah. It, it connects. Now, I noticed that you mentioned the testimonials, and I did notice those, particularly uh, Elisa Camplin, who I've heard speak a number of times. She's fantastic. Uh, and also, I noticed in there, and I, I, I don't, are they testimonials or quotes from Stevie Nicks, Russell Crowe, and Robert Downey Jr.? 
Yeah, so they'd be quotes on those three, but the ones beforehand are all testimonials. Yeah, I just thought I'd double check because it was like super impressive if it was. Now, why did you pick those three? Uh, well, Stevie's was a really interesting one that I came across in a book by Oprah. Um, and I was just reading Oprah's quotes on, on life and the Stevie Nicks one popped up and she literally used the it's all possible in the line. And after I had the book, um, ah. you know, kind of named the book and had all yeah. the ISBN numbers, and I thought, oh, my God, I have to use this because yeah. it's so cool. And it is so cool because people like Stevie are really interesting um, because she has had such a phenomenal career. But she's one like, like Bruce Springsteen, um, like the Rolling Stones, absolutely have a growth mindset. And one of the more recent duets that Stevie did was with Lana Del Rey. Mm. So she's always going, what is someone else doing? You know, I'm not sitting up here on my high horse or Stevie's white horse. I'm actually going out and going, what are the young people doing? What's out there that I don't know? And, and Bruce is Springsteen's the same. You know, he said, said to a number of artists, go, go play my songs any way you would. And someone put them in the rock operas. Someone made them faster, slower. And he's like, I'm blown away by what people did with my writing. He wasn't jealous of it. He was excited by it. And that's what you see when you see people. And that's why I picked Stevie for a start. The Russell Crowe one was a fantastic one for when he won the Academy Award. Mm. And I've always had that quote, you know, for 12 years or so, um, stocked up for you somewhere. And it just, it just was just beautiful for this book because it is so true that, um, you know, the quote essentially is when you're in the suburbs of, of Auckland or Sydney or Melbourne, you know, you can dream and you must dream. And, 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 but it's taking it to action. And the thing I love about Russell Crowe, for all sorts of reasons, I'm not going to go into you know, dialogue or haters or anything, but one thing I do know about Russell is he had um, big dreams and he actually put them in the action. He was very, very disciplined about turning up on time, ringing directors, ringing producers, trying to, you know, just hustling to get his craft um, seen by the world. And, and you, you have to admire him for that. And then Robert Downey Jr., I mean, my God, what a career. Oh, I mean, yeah. having a wonderful career as a child actor, having it completely fall apart and end up in jail, uh, to resurrect it and become one of the great, you know, all-time stars of today, and especially with um, you know, Jen, Jen Wise and Jen Zed, just love him for his role that he, that he played in Iron Man. So it's an outstanding comeback. Yeah, oh, they're they're really great examples, and I love that. I think people can relate to those. Uh, much more easily and so it makes it really exciting and the other one I like is KFC but you know what Rob I'm just going to put it out there I'm not going to ask you any question if anyone wants to know about your favorite strategy to ask to uh, assess results it's called KFC nothing to do with Colonel Sanders but I recommend the book it's all possible uh, how to lead an epic life and unleash the high performance hero within you by Rob Hartnett and published by our good friends at Major Street Publishing. Uh, Leslie and the team down there do a fantastic job. So, Rob, congratulations. If people want to c- continue the conversation with you, I'm assuming they can find you on LinkedIn. Where else do you hang out on social media? Oh, I'm kind of everywhere. So um, Instagram um, and Twitter is at Rob Hartnett. And, uh, yeah, LinkedIn, I'm, I'm there, and, in, and Facebook as the uh, the possibility guy. Excellent. So, yeah, not hard to find. Right, that's wonderful. That's all that. that. You know what? That's sort of part of the part of the gig, which a lot of people don't get. So that's really good that you're hard to find. Yeah, it's easy to find, not hard to find. <laughs> and your name is easy to, to spell as well. That helps. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Rob. Really enjoyed the conversation. All right, Jackie. Welcome back. Our next guest is a sought-after speaker and consultant in leadership, culture, diversity and inclusion with a background in strategy, economics and finance. But the thing that I really like about our next guest is that she is focusing on how to make quiet professionals 
achieve great success in the business environment. We need to find out more because this is a really interesting area that I haven't come across before. So I'd like to welcome to the show Megumi Mickey. Hi, Jackie. Thank you for having me. Hi, good to have you here. Uh, congratulations on your book, Quietly Powerful, How Your Quiet Nature is Your Hidden Leadership Strength. I haven't come across this before. Is this is this a common topic or are you ground, breaking some new ground here? Oh, I wish I could say it was groundbreaking, <laughs> but it, it is building on some other people's work, which is a lot focused on introversion as a as a topic. So you may have you may have come across Quiet, which was written by Susan Kane. She's done a TED talk, and there's few other people who have written about introversion. But I wanted to expand on on that that mm. it's not just about personality types and things. There are other times that we can go quiet as well. Right. Okay. So let's have a talk about that uh, in a bit more detail. So, and please correct me and interrupt me any time that I'm wrong. So it's based on that extroverts seem to get all the attention in business, uh, or I suppose are attracting are attracted to leadership styles. So it's about saying there are benefits to being introverted. Is that is that what you're trying to say, or how to make or how to advise people that are quiet? Uh, to actually have a leadership presence? It's a bit of both, actually. So I initially started off helping uh, quieter professionals, both men and women, actually, who may feel like they're held back by their quiet nature. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, I am a quieter person, so I felt like I had some of those challenges too and had to work on a few things. So that's where it started. But I also did some research on quietly powerful leaders, people who have really succeeded using their quieter nature as their leadership strength in real life. And I found that they are absolutely incredible leaders that we should have more of. So I felt like I needed to challenge that whole notion that uh, you have to be outspoken and loud as a leader to be noticed and to be uh, to be seen as leader-like. So it's kind of both sides of the story. Yeah, so um, and as I mentioned, yeah. I'm talking a little bit more than just introvert, extrovert, mm. um, just more of that quiet nature, uh, which may come from other sources as well. Yeah, so you've mentioned here that the uh, the alpha or hero leadership styles becoming outdated and inadequate. Why is that? So I think um, we still have that romantic feel about, you know, people who stand out the front and, and charge ahead and people follow. I think that sort of heroic leader, um, we still have that romanticism around. And it, I guess it comes from, like, Superman who will come to the rescue. <laughs> and, uh, and that's all good and well. But I think the world is becoming so complex that I don't think one person or a small number of people can uh, work on some of those problems that we have these days or let alone um, face into some of the... The, um, the disruption and all the uncertainty that's uh, coming through and all the changes that we're going through. So I feel like we need more leaders uh, with, without necessarily um, having the one or a few people being in charge. And so for that to happen, I feel like you need more leaders who are inclusive and empowering of more people. And that's what I saw of Quietly Powerful Leaders. Right. Okay. It's interesting. What's the difference between introversion and shyness? 
A uh, big difference, actually. Introverts don't necessarily have to be shy, and extroverts can be shy too. So, from a personality point of view, um, and and plenty of uh, research is done by psychologists. Shyness is more of a social anxiety, so it's more from an anxious point of view. Mm. Um, some introverts are very calm and they're quite happy to be <laughs> be with people. They just prefer not to be um, uh, be in social situations for a long time so mm. they just uh, it just saps their energy that's all that is um, so I think that's the, the difference there. Yeah I come across people uh, that come and do, I do a uh, personal brand um, mm. workshop development yep. program yep. and I get a lot of people in in that program you know ask them why they're there and what are they wanting to get out mm. of it and, and the majority of them use the term I just want to get out there and most of them are introverted that there's a common theme there and they're, they're okay. realizing for promotion and they're ambitious or they're in a career transitional part mm. or they're entrepreneurs or whatever mm-hmm. but they're mm-hmm. wanting to get out there so what advice would you give someone who really struggles to mm. put their story forward I suppose mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well I'll be one of them <laughs> I, I struggled big time in my earlier days about even putting a LinkedIn post. Right, that was yeah. so nerve-wracking. Yes. So I suppose um, it's, it's not so much shyness, but I don't particularly like being in the centre of attention. Mm. And I think that's quite common of people who are somewhat quieter. Um, it's a bit scary to be in the centre of attention. Um, you don't want all the eyes on you. Uh, but I suppose for me the big advice that I would provide people is not so much seeing it as getting yourself out there, it's actually getting the work out there. So the mm-hmm. difference is that I see, in quotation marks, self-promotion as actually not myself promoting. Uh, I see it as um, promoting my work. Ah, so and right. because that, to me, is much more comfortable and mm. also it's more purposeful. So I don't put my work out there because I, I want to be seen. I only put my work out there because I actually believed that it's helpful. And as long as I believe that, I can continue to put my put my work out there, if that helps. That's a really good tactic to use because it's about... Ref- speaking in the third person so you're speaking about your work which then you're right takes the focus off you and interestingly I always have these discussions with LinkedIn professionals you know do you write in first person or third person and one professional will say oh you've got to write in third person Jackie and then the and the next person says the next expert says it's got to be first person and I thought I'll quickly go on to your Facebook because I'm third person I feel more comfortable with that even though I am extroverted um, and I thought to myself I bet you're in third person and sure enough you are so that's actually a really good tip for anyone who is feeling a little bit uncomfortable Mm. with the spotlight interesting you say the third person though when I wrote the book Mm. I have written in first person as well Ah. so I think it's more of a mindset thing than just what I'm thinking about writing or um, how I talk about it because uh, I, I often share my own stories of my struggles and challenges and things as well, very much in first person mm. and personal stories. But I, the, the, what's behind it, though, is that I do that for the purpose of the work. So I will share my struggles and, and my, my challenges and war stories and all sorts of things mm. because I think it will help the work. Uh, okay. Otherwise, I don't think I can. 
Yeah, okay, so that's your mindset because mm. I was going to say it's, it can put you in an extremely vulnerable yeah. uh, and ex- feeling very exposed uh, sharing those stories. And so that's how you mentally, that's the self-talk that you give yourself mm. to be able to, to do that. Oh, yeah. that's, that's fascinating. What were some of the powerful leaders that you looked at that were introverted um, that, that you talked about earlier? Is there any, any yeah, that we'd so- know? Uh, yeah, there's a few. Well, I interviewed 29 quietly powerful leaders, mm. so um, not all of whom were introverted necessarily. So I might come back to that in a moment. Yes, but please. the quietly powerful leaders who um, I found to be incredibly powerful were people who seemed to be very comfortable within themselves, and they therefore, you know, they have strengths and weaknesses like everybody else, but they're just comfortable with that. And so what I found that uh, that's that allowed them to be is very authentic. They don't hide their mistakes or their flaws. And I've certainly tried to do that as well. Uh, whenever I do any talks or anything like that, I often share some of the things that I find that I, uh, that I struggle with. And, um, and these powerful, quietly powerful leaders were the same. But as a result of that, they often are very, very present because they're not distracted by those inner talk, inner, inner critics and things that can get in the way of us being present. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very much into listening. They're very present with you. So it feels like there's a real connection. Uh, and then also because of what I was talking about earlier, they don't necessarily are in a leadership position because they wanted the control or the power. They often go into leadership positions because they felt they could contribute to something bigger than themselves. So they're Mm. very purposeful. So to me, those three things combined are very powerful and I I feel like we need more of those leaders in the world rather than those who are going into leadership positions for their own good. Right. Now, just uh, quickly finish off the... I did mention introverted and I've, I've picked up your tone that that's the incorrect term I'm using. <laughs> Not so much incorrect. It's, it's one of. Right. Okay. Probably so incomplete. Is probably incomplete. Better. Yeah. Okay, yeah. great. So how do I complete that? What, what term should yeah. I be using? Uh, well, I think quiet is the okay. more encompassing um, yeah. because I think people can be quiet because of introversion, of course, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also other personality traits can cause people to go quieter. That is um, agreeableness, for example. So people who don't want to cause too much conflict or too much confrontation, they mm-hmm. might go quiet in different situations, even if they're an extrovert. Um, there's also conditioning, so cultural conditioning. So I can talk about my Japanese background, of course, that can cause um, a lot of uh, Japanese people, but also more broadly Asian people might find it difficult to speak up, especially when there's senior people in the room. Uh, but that also goes for other people as well, because I, I was talking about that one day in a, in a talk and um, a person uh, spoke up and said, oh, that's not just about being Asian, it's also about being Catholic. So oh. <laughs> other, <laughs> there's lots of other people yes. who would say the same thing, but it's more of that conditioning through our childhood and mm. as, as we're growing up or, or in our early careers, um, we might have learnt some uh, things that we are not to speak up in certain situations, so that might cause people to go quiet. Uh, but then, of course, there's the power dynamics in a in a group situation where some people, uh, not just about hierarchy, but also uh, power and rank in terms of uh, if you're the minority in the group, if you're the only woman in the group, or if you're only the culturally the only culturally diverse person in the group, or or whatever reason you feel like you're not the mainstream, then that makes it really hard for people to speak up as well. So it takes a lot more energy to uh, for, for those situations. 
It is an incredibly fascinating topic and uh, I think it's a great title, Quietly Powerful. Uh, And I wish you continued success in this field because I think you're absolutely, you've hit on something here that I think is probably not talked enough about. So I'm really glad that we've given it the respect it deserves today, Megumi. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Uh, Those that want to continue the conversation or feel like that they've connected or think that might be me, I am quiet and... And, uh, and it is holding me back or I'd like to get some new strategies or tactics to, to help improve my leadership style. Uh, people can find you on Twitter and LinkedIn, of course, and your website, megumimiki.com. Uh, and there'll be lots of information there. And your book, which is published by our good friends at Major Street Publishing, Quietly Powerful, How Your Quiet Nature Is Your Hidden leadership strength and I'm assuming that you can buy that where all books are available. Yes, it is released now, so absolutely. Well, congratulations. I think it's, as I said, it's it's really great to be out of talking about this. I enjoyed it very much. Really appreciate your precious time today, Megumi. Thank you so much, Jackie, for the opportunity. Thank you. We'll be right back after this short break. Our next guest is a sought-after consultant, author and thought leader in operational excellence. He's just released a new book about transformation. I'd like to welcome to the show Nigel Adams. Hi, Jackie. Lovely to be here. Hi. It's great to have you here. Pick your wonderful brain. Now, (laughs) your, your your new book, Match Fit for Transformation, Realising the Potential of Everyday Heroes. What is transformation and what are you trying to transform? Well, it's one of those sort of funny terms that sort of gets overused, I think. Um, but basically, it's, it's, it's any large-scale change, whether that's um, in a corporate environment or any other domestic environment, for that matter. Mm. And it's obviously something that, um, with all the rapid change in technology over the last sort of uh, 10 or 15 years, Many organisations are trying to catch up. Organisations that have been around for a long time I suddenly have to realise if they want to compete, they need to transform so that they can play on a level playing field with the digital natives. Yeah, well, it's um, chapter one, uh, which I always sort of... It's a good place to start, isn't it? It's a good um, place to yes, start. Yes, uh, and straight up front, you've got a France captor quote which I thought yes. was a great it's really it was about from <laughs> metamorphosis and I went okay transformation metamorphosis it sets the scene beautifully about m- metamorphosizing and and then you mentioned that if you work in an organization there's a good chance you're being transformed as we yes. speak somewhere between 80 to 90 percent of organizations currently have a transformation agenda and it got me thinking, that's enormous. But is that just in larger organisations or does that include small business as well? Well, I think because of the nature of the definition, i.e. there isn't really a, de- a definition of transformation, pretty much every organisation from the sort of smallest micro business right up to the sort of the largest multinational is going through lots of change. You just can't sit on your laurels anymore mm. and just sort of keep doing the same thing you did yesterday. You, your marketplace is evolving, your customers are evolving, and your competitors are evolving. So you have to keep up and you have to keep changing and transforming. Right. Now, where did you get your quotes? Because you start every chapter with a quote, and I'm always curious because I love, I love a good quote. Yep. Are you, are you um, a collector well, of them, or how did you choose them? Yeah, a little bit. I'm, um, I'm sort of a voracious reader, and uh, sort of many, many moons ago, I was a German student, so that's where the Kafka stuff came from. Ah, right. I love the sort of the classics, and I've, I've spent <laughs> both an enormous amount of money and time reading sort of management sort of books. 
and what I found sort of in the, the I guess later life that I could probably learn as much by sort of reading some of the older works of literature about you know people's behaviour. Machiavelli is phenomenal sort of uh, piece mm. on how people behave and that quest for power. And Alice in Wonderland that things which just seem sort of very obvious maybe they're not quite as obvious. Um, so, so I love I love sort of the, the classics and I love trying to sort of to take what was said two, three, four hundred years ago and try and interpret that in today's environment because I think they, uh, you know, they speak to the very humanity of who we are and I don't really think at that very sort of human level we're that different to what we were many, many years ago. I agree with you totally. I, I think the, the world around us has changed so fast that our brains biologically hasn't, have, hasn't had enough time to adapt and so that's where that struggling to change and the resistance to change and I like the I think change is becoming a bit of a dirty word you know words like disruption they make sort of make you feel a bit uncomfortable I think words like transformation are really key some of the management books uh, that you read Nigel way back was there any that stood out particularly or was a bit of a, a game changer for you? Um, there's, you know so many different books stand out for different reasons I mean I remember sort of you know 30 years ago and doing an MBA and there's one on exploring corporate strategy and it was just a collection of different sort of theories but it brought it all together into a very structured way and I, I love that um, I quite like sort of technical books um, mm. and I'm less interested in uh, sort of I guess the generic leadership books because it seems to me that they, they tend to have one or two central ideas but you have to sort of wade through 200 pages of text to, actually to, to find out what they're talking about um, so I, I, I tend to just sort of go for a, a mix of, of technical books and some of the, the more strategic, in particular my area of, of interest is operations. And right. so I, yep. I love anything to do with how to take that sort of that high-level strategy which organisations, senior executives come up with and translate it into action. How do you make it work when there are just so many things stacked against this type of change? Yeah, so it's an operational focus. Uh, I wasn't going to say, I remember I, I was, would have only been in my teenage years and my stepfather had had a win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie. And yeah. and I read that and I, I, and I, I go back, that definitely change things for me that got me a really interest in in psychology business psychology marketing that field but back to the operational side in your book uh you refer to establishing an operating rhythm and i was and i like the i like the two words together operating rhythm can you tell us a little bit more about what you mean by that well, it, it's basically it's just a, a routine. You know, we are creatures of routine, so change is is uncomfortable for many people. But to try to routinise the change to make sure that you're you're doing certain meetings at a certain sort of recurrent events, where you're doing a planning meeting every sort of couple of months, whether you're doing a strategy meeting every sort of six months, um, or you're just doing sort of a, a control check-in with how your team are going. Every day, instead of you know, I think in um, lots of organisations have moved down an agile path now, and they have their daily stand-ups or their daily scrums. It's really that's just part of establishing a routine of the way we do things around here. And the more people understand the way things uh, get done, the easier it is to make sure that everybody is part of that transformation, mm. part of that journey, because they understand how the place works. And I think that yeah. for me is the. Um, one of the big challenges of how transformation is done. It's it's easy to look at the list of new jobs and new skills that are required and to be 
quite concerned because you've been looking at your own sort of organization spectrum. You don't have scrum masters or data scientists or people that are, are design thinkers. And the immediate sort of response is, well, I'll go and hire these people in. But when you bring people in from outside, um, they've then got to learn how your organization works. And whilst you do need a smattering of the new knowledge and some of the, the new ideas, most of it is just evolutionary. Um, and what's more important is learning how your organization works. And that can take years in a large organization. So you get this tension, you get this frustration of people coming in from outside, thinking they're going to be able to deploy all their new skills very quickly and get fast results, and then just hitting roadblock after roadblock after roadblock, and they can't get stuff done. And at the same time, the people that have been in the organization for a long time, they say, well, you've got the new guys coming in. They're probably getting paid more money than I am. They don't seem to be getting anywhere. But if they do succeed, it's my job that's on the line, and I'm going to be the one that's going to go. So you have this resentment. And I think that is the sort of the, the fundamental sort of, I guess, tenet of the whole book is you can't have an us and them situation in something as difficult as a transformation, a particular digital one, because it's, they go right to the very, I guess, the, the fabric of the organization. It's like a heart, liver, lung transplant that you're trying to do on an, on an organization. And you can't have dissent between two different sort of warring tribes or factions within your business. Mm, yeah, well, success certainly leaves clues. And if you look at organisations like Uber, Amazon, Airbnb and Spotify, uh, they're sort of shaping, I suppose, the digital service expectations. Yeah. Uh, but you, you mentioned here in the book that the success rate of digital transformation for most businesses is as low as 5%. That's right. That, that absolutely <laughs> shocked me. There's, um, there's, a, there's a number of different studies, predominantly by the, sort of the larger consulting firms, the McKinsey's, the Baines, the BCG's mm. of this world, and it ranges somewhere. The, the lowest was 5%, mm. um, very few that are above sort of 25%. Though. So it's like one in four. You know, you're better going down the casino and putting it all on red. Um, it's, uh, it's a, and I think that goes to just how hard this is. And, you know, the, those digital natives you mentioned earlier, they didn't start with this complex tangled web of spaghetti and, and fragments of old technology that they're trying to sort of to, to renovate. They could start from scratch with technology that automatically connected, worked well, was open source in many ways or easy to use. And the guys that have been around for a long time are having to unpick a lot of what they're doing. And, it, and it's right down deep in the bowels of how the organization works. And that means um, a, a level of detail that sort of most organizations aren't used to dealing with. Mm, yeah, that's that real concept of adapting uh, yep. and adapting to thrive as opposed to survive. Well, I suppose some have to adapt to, to survive, but you really want to thrive. And so that that's a real key success factor, I'm assuming. It, it is. And that's to say, I think, because lots of organizations, what they do when they, when they recognize the challenge, they put together transformational teams. And that, and that may be so less than 10% of the whole organization are focused on what the, the CEO and the executives think are. This is the transformational team. These are the guys that are going to help me write my legacy, ter turn what we've got from a mature sort of old world business into a new world business. But it's the 90% of people that aren't in that tent that can really, really help. And you've got to, and, you know, they're feeling extraordinarily threatened. So it's not just they're fighting for survival, not, not thriving. Mm. And it's about how you can harness that knowledge, that capability, set them up for success, set them up for um, jobs of the future, and still get them to sort of do their day job and keep sort of customers happy whilst we're sort of going through this transformational process. 
Yeah. So what's, uh, just to finish up, if someone's listening that is a business owner themselves, an entrepreneur managing a small to medium-sized team or, um, or business, and they're, they're in that 5%, they, they yep. are resisting the uh, digital adaptation, what's the, what's the first thing that they should do? Uh, the, the first thing is um, to get to get the buy-in of the team. The team, the, mm. the you know, it might be only 10, 20, 30 people. But if people don't see why there is a need to change and can't buy into it themselves and the role that they can play in that change, mm. then it's pretty hard to move forward. So I think this, this goes back to sort of that very, very old sort of quote from NASA in the early um, 60s when Kennedy was walking around NASA and he, he found... He was talking to the janitor, and he asked the janitor what his role in the organization was. And he said, I'm here to help put a man on the moon. And so especially if you're in a small organization where lots of people do, they don't have you know, very uh, specific roles. They might be a jack-of-all-trades. You need absolutely everybody to be on board and everybody to be aligned behind the goal. And that's really up to the leader to bring people together and to share why, why we exist, why we're doing what we're doing, why we need to change, what happens if we don't change, and really tell stories to help people understand what that context is. And it's at that point you then can start to say, well, how do we go about the change once you've got people to see the need for change and the case for change? Yeah, oh, that's a great way to finish up. Really enjoyed our conversation. Nigel Adams, thank you very much for your precious time. Your new book, Match Fit for Transformation, Realising the Potential of Everyday Heroes and will certainly help you in operational excellence. I really enjoyed our conversation, Nigel. Thank you. Thanks, Jackie. Lovely talking to you. That's the end of another stimulating show. We hope you've enjoyed eavesdropping on our conversation, picked up some tips, learned something new, or at the very least feel inspired. If you just joined us, you've missed a lot, but the podcast will be available on my social media, Jackie Mitchell. Thank you to our worldly and thought-provoking guests. We look forward to your company next Friday. In the meantime, keep taking care of your business mindset.